We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. DFFS baseball, at least regular season left to go. So let's try and make them all count as James Seltzer. And with me today, normally I'm with Paul Bruno, but especially today is we have the director of media at Rotowire, Mr. Derek Van Riper, hosting me today. Derek, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, James. Thanks for letting me step in for Paul because ordinarily I, I'm the kind of guy that ruins a podcast like this by just showing up out of the blue, but happy to step in. See, look at that. He just steps right in and the self-deprecation is on point exactly where we like it. So this should be a smooth transition. All right. So uh, let me just run through the games here. We've got an uh, extra full slate with a doubleheader in Colorado after last night's game was rained out against the Dodgers. So we will run through this and Derek and I will jump in and help you out with the day slate and the main slate, starting with that six game day slate, early slate, uh, one ten start in Chicago, excuse me, in Detroit, Chicago in town, a nice pitching matchup there. Chris sale taking on Justin Verlander, one thirty-five start in Boston as Tampa Bay heads to town. Drew Smiley, the lefty on the hill, taking on the knuckleballer Stephen Wright for the Red Sox. Then we move on to a 2.05 start in Texas as King Felix, Felix Hernandez on the hill for the Mariners, taking on Martin Perez and those Rangers. Move on to a 2.10 start sticking in Texas as Houston hosts the, excuse me, hosts the Oakland Athletics' Ross Detweiler. Back in the majors, back on the hill, twirling against Mike Fires for the Astros. A little lefty-righty action there. Move on to the 3-10 start I just mentioned in Colorado, the first of a double bill. Ross Stripling and the Dodgers in town taking on Tyler Anderson, the lefty for the Rockies. We move on to a 345 start in Arizona. Uh, excuse me, in San Francisco. It's Arizona in town. Shelby Miller taking on Matt Moore coming off that just missed no-hitter. Uh, one out away from that. And then we move on to that main slate. We've got a, a nine-game main slate here. 7.05 start 
uh, in Baltimore as Aaron Sanchez and the Blue Jays heading into town take on Giovanni Gallardo, a righty-righty battle there. 705 start in Los Angeles as well. Cincinnati in town, Brandon Finnegan against a rookie in Alaska. Another lefty-righty matchup there as well. 705 start, a couple of lefties doing battle here as well. In Philadelphia, Gio Gonzalez and the Nats in town taking on Adam Morgan in those Phillies. Then we move on to a 710 start. We got three of those in Cleveland. Minnesota in town, Pat Dean taking on Corey Kluber. 710 in Atlanta, Paul Clemens and the Padres in town to take on Matt Whistler and the Braves. And then in New York at 710 as well, big fat Bartolo Colon and those Mets take on Miami and David Phelps righty-righty there. Move on to the 8 and beyond. We have 4, 8 p.m. and after starts, and that'll round out the slate. No late games today. Uh, we start there in uh, at Wrigley as Pittsburgh in town. Ryan Vogelsong taking on Jason Hamill and the Pirates and the Cubs there. A couple of righties. Then we move on to Milwaukee, 810. Matt Garz and the Brewer hosting, Brewers hosting Luke Weaver and those Cardinals. And then an 8-10 start in Colorado, the second of that double bill. Jeff Hoffman, the rookie on the hill for the Rocks, taking on Rich Hill, made his second start for the Dodgers. And then we round out the evening. As I said, an early, early round out, 8-15 start in KC as Ian Kennedy and the Royals host Luis Sessa. I hope I said that right. And the Yankees. All right, Derek, let's jump in. Let's start with that. Early slate of games, 110 start. Potentially, it looks like we start the day with the best pitching matchup on the board. Sale versus Verlander, are you avoiding hitters altogether, or are you potentially taking a shot against one of these guys? Yeah, I don't think I'm using many hitters in this game. I mean, Justin Verlander, I was talking about him from a season-long context yesterday, and he looks like a guy that belongs among the league's top 20 pitchers again. He's had a great season. It kind of mirrors what he's doing in the second half of last year. Uh, it's easy to forget he had a couple injuries going into each of the last two seasons. So I'm buying into what Verlander's doing right now. I don't want to use White Sox hitters against them. I think the other aspect of this, too, the matchup's not at the sell, so you're getting a lower over-under number. Uh, but more inclined to use one of these two pitchers than I am to use any of the hitters going up against them. Yeah, I, I think for me this is an easy call as well, especially Verlander. I don't think because he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season and, and hasn't been the old Verlander for a while – I think a lot of people aren't realizing how good he's been and that he's probably in the Cy Young race in the American League with how bunched up it is and obviously sales well. So I agree with so many pitchers to target on the board today. I'm avoiding that one from a hitting perspective as well and uh, probably throwing Verlander out there at 9800 I think that's a pretty decent price considering how good he's been and the right-handed heavy White Sox lineup. All right, let's move on to that 135 start in Beantown. Steven Wright, the knuckleballer, taking on Drew Smiley in the Rays. Uh, Wright, you know, has been a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde lately with, uh, you know, the dominance and then getting roughed up. And Smiley, that's been his whole season. You know, he'll go out and give you a double-digit strikeouts. There's upside there, but then, you know, he'll go out and give up eight runs in three innings. So it's a tough one to gauge here in Boston. I may be leaning towards the bats. Yeah, I, I think with Stephen Wright, I mean, you have no reason to fear him, but at the same time, you don't really have a, a clear way to target him, right? I mean, it's not necessarily lefties or righties that you think are going to be significantly better. It's just a matter of whether or not that pitch is dancing. <laughs> exactly. No, it's exactly right. Yeah. And he's, he, one or the he's other. Like, if it's on, it's on, and you don't want to go against him. And if it's not, you want bats. Yeah, and it's like he's he's the ultimate GPP sort of play as pitchers go. I mean, he's got two 60-point starts in his last five, but he's got two single digits. One of those was in the red. I mean, he went neg four against yeah, Lions. Bad, or the Especially Titans. if you're spending 9K on him, that's bad. Yeah, it's it's awful. So, I mean, I look at Steven Wright as as a guy that I, I, I want to load up against him a little bit, but with the Rays offense, I'm not overwhelmingly like 
try to stack or anything like that. It might just be more of a matchup play if I find one guy who just happens to fit my lineup really well as I'm rounding it out. But none came up in terms of my initial lineup. Yeah, I, I, I'm similar there as well. Wright has been like that enigma all season where you just don't know what to do. And, and it's like a GPP thing. I think it's just a luck of the draw type of thing because I've thrown him out there and won money because it's been one of those days where he goes – you know, nine shutout with eight Ks and, and no one can touch it. But uh, obviously it's blown up in your face other days. So I agree. And Smiley against that Red Sox lineup in Boston is definitely a stay away for me despite the strikeout upside. All right, 205 start in Texas. Felix Hernandez on the hill for the Mariners has pitched well of late. Uh, going up against Martin Perez and those Rangers. Uh, Perez, one of those guys who can dazzle you but also has a lot of trouble striking guys out. I would feel comfortable with some Mariners bats in here. Are you are you leaning that way as well? I like the Mariners bats. The thing I don't like about the Mariners, they're such a, a lefty heavy team as far as the best hitters go. So that might be the one thing that holds me back uh, just a little bit. You're right about Perez. He just doesn't strike a lot of guys out. And as a prospect years ago, we thought he was going to be a possible frontline starter. Yeah. It just hasn't happened yet. Definitely not a guy you fear, but kind of like the Stephen Wright situation where I'm not necessarily loading up several Seattle hitters in this spot. I'm just certainly not afraid to uh, go with the value in this matchup if that's where it happens to be. Uh, but yeah, King Felix, I mean, he's been pitching a lot, lot better more recently. His last five games, he's got a 243 ERA, 105 whip, averaging 46.8 points per game on FanDuel. So finally looking like the Felix Hernandez we were hoping to see earlier this season. Yeah, finally is right. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people in uh, season long who have owned him and just been very depressed. And if they've had the luck to actually make it to the playoffs, now's the time where he's turning it on. But um, yeah, I have a similar similar take on this game as well. The one guy who, who always jumps to mind whenever Seattle is facing a left-handed pitcher is obviously Nelson Cruz. And he has that nerve issue in his hand. So was out of the lineup yesterday. If he's in there at 3,900 and, and healthy enough to play, I think he's almost a must play at that price against the lefty. But other than that, it's more of a value thing with this game for me. There's just not a lot of values jumping off the page for me considering the matchups. All right, let's move on to 10 start a little bit less exciting pitcher matchup here. So maybe we get some bats in here is in Houston, Oakland in town, Ross Detweiler back on the hill, taking on Mike fires and those Astros. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Detweiler uh, obviously has uh, uh, had many attempts in the majors and never, never stuck. Yeah, I mean, the most surprising thing we've seen from Ross Detweiler was eight scoreless innings back yes. on the 10th against yes. the Orioles, right? I mean, that came out of relative nowhere. I, I have to think a righty-heavy lineup like Houston is a great cash game sort of stack. I mean, George Springer is four grand, but maybe you pay up for that today. I think you look around at guys like El Tuve, who's at 4,100, which doesn't seem that bad for El Tuve, given yeah. just how amazing he has been. Any, I feel like anytime he's not the highest-priced second baseman on the board, he's a value. That's that's fair. <laughs> I mean, know, he's, just, he's so ridiculous, and you got guys at Coors, so they're priced up a little higher than Altuve today too. A lot of people are going to go after that that matinee between Dodgers and Rockies. So it's it's not it's not a uh, certainly chalky, but at the same time, it chalk can pay. And I think this is one of those times where it, it makes a lot of sense to go with it. Uh, just thinking back to that last game real quick, the player I typically go after when the Mariners are facing a lefty. I mean, Nelson Cruz went healthy, sure. Franklin Gutierrez is always in the mm -hmm. mix. He's one of the players our optimizer really likes. But at 3,200, he's priced right at that level where I feel good about it, but I don't necessarily feel great about it. So it comes down to like the last outfield spot as to whether or not he actually 
gets into my lineup. Yeah, that Goot was a name that I thought of. I love to talk about Franklin Gutierrez just because it allows me to say Goot, which I always enjoy. But um, always a good play against lefties. But but I stayed off because of that price tag. It was like if you were three thousand, I would have been in. I know it seems you know a minor difference, but when you're really filling out that lineup, those extra few hundred bucks can really really help. Uh, and I, as far as this game, totally agree with you. You know, I, I'm willing to pay for Altuve. I'm willing to pay for Springer. I'm willing to pay for Korea, uh, assuming he's healthy. I'm looking for all those bats, uh, right-handed bats in the Houston lineup going against Detweiler. Uh, again, like you said, those eight shutout were a, a, a miracle almost. So I'm certainly not avoiding Detweiler. All right, let's move on to the first of that twin bill in Colorado. As uh, you know, anytime you got two games in Colorado for DFS, it's uh, it's usually exciting. And obviously, uh, the all day slate will have that first game, and then the uh, early slate, obviously the first. But you can play that second game in the main slate. Um, so so let's focus on that first game first here. Ross Stripling taking on Tyler Anderson. Anderson has been one of those guys who's kind of caught. I feel like the whole baseball community off guard with how well he's pitched, not just in general, but in cores. Uh, are you, obviously, uh, it's scary proposition to ever start a pitcher in DFS at cores, but uh, how are you viewing this game? And is there any chance he might throw him out in a GPP or something? Yeah, maybe in a GPP because for the season, he's got a 345 ERA, 129 whip at home, 57 in the third innings. I mean, he's pitched actually a lot more of his innings at cores than he has on the road. He, of course, missed some time with an injury earlier this season. But I look at Tyler Anderson. He's got the pedigree. I mean, he's former first-round pick, college lefty, uh, cruised to the minor leagues pretty quickly uh, when you account for the fact that he missed a lot of time due to health reasons. But he, he didn't take long level to level to get those bumps. And uh, strikeouts have been pretty consistent. He's keeping the ball in the park, and he doesn't beat himself up with walks. So I think if you're looking a little bit further down that price list and want to save some money with a pitcher in a GPP, Anderson does make sense. Yeah, I love him, especially, I mean, 5,800, that is pennies, you know, for a guy who's pitched as well as he has. Obviously, the course thing scares you, but, you know, if you're if you're trying to win these big, legit GPPs, these are the types of risks you take. You know, you're not going to win it by playing it safe. So uh, a guy like Tyler Anderson makes a lot of sense to me, allows you to stack up that entire lineup. Um, and again, it's been really good at home and against a, a more lefty heavy Dodgers lineup. I, I really do like that matchup there. Other than, other than that specific aspect, are, are you targeting bats? Are you targeting some Colorado bats against Stripling, who's been better than I expected him to be, but not particularly good? I don't think I have any, any Rockies lined up right now. I've been fading Coors a lot throughout the second half because it, it just seems like when I can find value elsewhere, you know, the, the way I think of it like kind of like a March Madness pool, too, right? You don't necessarily want to be on the most chalky yes. team in March Madness. You want to be on the second or third most yes. chalky team well, at best so. because you, you can kind of push off, you know, if Kentucky is the, the odds-on favorite in, the, in a tournament. You're, you're kind of staying away from Kentucky because you want to knock out as many people in the pool as possible. So in terms of your GPP strategies, I'm okay with fading Coors or, not, or just not stacking at Coors, finding one guy on each side or maybe two guys in that game that you really like focusing on them and stacking elsewhere. Now, if you do that, it's going to cost you still. I mean, unless you find the Ryan Rayburn types when they're getting starts, that makes that makes a little bit of a difference because you can save some cash. But I've found that I'm not playing Coors nearly as much as I did in the first half as we've moved through the season. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially the fading in GPPs because those ownership percentages are going to be high almost every, unless there's a weather worry or something. Every single tournament you play, the Rockies ownership will be high that game. So, And also really spins in with the potential. If you want to take a shot on Tyler Anderson, maybe fade the offenses in that game and hope for a pitching duel. So uh, potential to kind of win big on both sides there. All right, let's move to a 345, the last start of the uh, the early slate here in San Fran is we've got Arizona in town, two pitchers who have had uh, different seasons for sure. Shelby Miller, obviously a disaster in Arizona back up in the majors taking on Matt Moore, who uh, came coming off a uh, eight and two thirds, no hit until uh, broken up by Corey Seager in the ninth. Are, are you, uh, are you high on Moore in this one or maybe a little bounce back there? I'm okay with with more. I mean, I think Arizona outside of Chase Field is a lot less intimidating. But with more, you get that start to start inconsistency. I I, I don't really want to use him here because he's priced up in that high eight thousand dollar range, eighty seven hundred. I would be more inclined to go to Miller in GPPs. He pitched really well during his time at AAA. Uh, it seems like he's worked out the mechanical issues that were plaguing him earlier this year. He would have been up sooner if the Diamondbacks didn't want to preserve an extra year of service time. Like that had something to do with the duration of his uh, time spent at Reno. But 6700 on Miller, that's going to open up the budget you need to get that Astro stack we were talking about before. So I like the park. I like the fact that it's actually on the road at San Francisco. If you're going to take that shot, I think Shelby Miller makes more sense than the other cheap pitchers on the board this afternoon. Before I give my thoughts, I, I figure, well, quick tangent, you're a baseball fan, I'm a baseball fan. It is August 31st. Dave Stewart, Tony LaRusso, all of their contracts are, are supposedly up today. Uh, how do you think that plays out? I don't think they're coming back. <laughs> I mean, I think it's usually you have a front office, uh, with, as far as ownership goes, that gets another opportunity when injuries are as much of a factor as they were this year for Arizona. But I think it's pretty easy to get a feel for just how dysfunctional that combination has been. I mean, Dave Stewart was on no list to be a GM. He was an yeah. agent before yeah, they hired him. It, just, sure. it made no sense whatsoever to put him in that position. Tony Larusa, I mean, sure, a great manager, but how do we how do we know he still has the acumen necessary to be a good front office guy? Maybe he never had that. Maybe he's just more of an in-game tactics sort of guy. That's entirely possible. So I think they're going to blow the whole thing up. I I wondered if they were going to try to maybe put Zach Grinke unrevocable waivers and possibly move him because mm. it's a huge contract a but for now i mean they'll probably see how that plays out i, I just i don't think he finishes that contract in arizona as, as part of our uh, our little uh, sidebar here so shelby miller i mean he's always been talented he's had trouble putting it together consistently in the past but i think last year skills wise is a pretty good indication of what he's capable of i think the beginning of this year he had that hand injury kind of like hit his hand on the ground following through on a pitch and just yep. didn't seem quite right after that, I think maybe after that, the uh, the mental aspect of the struggle started to get to him. I mean, he knows as, as well as anybody, the Diamondbacks gave up a lot yeah. to acquire him this offseason. But I, I think he can bounce back in his first start back up today against the Giants. I like that. Yeah, and obviously a lot of pressure on, on Miller with all they gave up with Swanson and, and Inciarte and all that stuff, of course. But, um, yeah, I'm with you on the situation as well before we move on. I definitely uh, – seems like they were ill-equipped to be there from the beginning and the international signings and the draft, you know, uh, uh, money. And, and it just doesn't seem like from a day-to-day uh, -day perspective, they understand what the job entails and what they're supposed to do. 
Uh, and I think that's a much bigger problem than, you know, any of the actual roster construction stuff, which has also uh, been a problem as well. And then the Dave Stewart's wife with the agent and all that. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole thing I'm with you. So you can't mention Shelby Miller and then it be August 31st and not get into this. Um, all right. I agree with your take there. I actually like some of those Diamondbacks again some more as well. Uh, Goldschmidt at 3,800 hasn't been great lately, but a lefty-righty matchup there. And Yasmani, Yasmani Tomas has hit left-handed pitching well. He's down there at 2,900. Those are a couple uh, potential tournament plays that I like as well. All right, let's uh, let's move on to that main slate here, Derek, because we got a bunch of games here to break down. It starts out with uh, three seven oh five starts. Let's start in Boston. Toronto in town. Aaron Sanchez back on. They'll take it on Giovanni Gallardo Sanchez. Of course, held out a little bit, sent to the minors to, to kind of keep him fresh and keep that innings limit down. Um, does that worry you, starting Sanchez in, and obviously the matchup, maybe not the best to begin with, but are you worried about rolling with Sanchez, worried that you know they might limit his innings as it goes on here? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. The matchup to me is the bigger concern. I mean, if he's efficient, he'll go six or seven and, and that'll be fine. But this just seems like a bad setup for him. And the price at 8,600 is high enough where I just feel like you can get better value elsewhere from this group of pitchers. Yeah, I agree, especially when you're looking at that Boston lineup and uh, how, how potent it is, especially in Camden Yards. Were there any uh, bats in that game that kind of stuck out to you in particular? I mean, I'm I'm up for using anybody against Giovanni Gallardo <laughs> in, in any go. in any circumstance. Like no no questions asked. Uh, the the one name I like on the Baltimore side because he's priced down is Chris Davis. I mean, if you have any concerns at all about Aaron Sanchez, Chris Davis at 3400 becomes a pretty interesting play. Uh, but most of the interest I have would be on the Toronto side. You got to pay up for a guy like Encarnacion if you're not going to go with Chris Davis. 4300 might be a little steep, even though Encarnacion's been mashing. Donaldson's at 4,600. The hardest thing about the Jays is that they, they're so consistently good, it's rare that you find discounted value plays. You know, it kind of comes up to, do you want to mix in Blue Jays or do you want to actually have that three- or four-man Houston stack? No, it's a great point. That Blue Jays lineup has just been so dangerous, especially when they're at home and, and obviously Baltimore and other hitters part. But I love that Chris Davis call. He went on that little run with like, uh, was it six homer, five, six homers in, in three games a little bit ago. And you're like, all right, it's going to start. He's getting hot. Slow down. But he's, he's been hitting homers. He's got three homers over the last uh, week or so. So I think as an upside play at 3,400, I mean, that's about as good as you're going to get in terms of the ceiling there. All right, let's move on. 7.05 in L.A. is Cincinnati in town. The lefty Brandon Finnegan taking on Ricky Nolasco. Uh, I think we all know what Nolasco is. Finnegan uh, has been hit or miss, but has shown some signs for positivity the last couple outings at, at 6,800. Is that something you're considering? Yeah, 6,800 makes an interesting tournament play. I mean, we've seen at points throughout this year the Angels are a team that don't strike out a lot so maybe that's a concern but it's a, it's a lineup you don't really fear right it's very top heavy you guys oh, like yeah. Calhoun uh, Mike Trout Albert Pujols kind of do all the work and the guys around them are generally uh, more like legitimate like bench guys that just play every day I mean it's a, it's a yeah. bad bad Angels team uh, right now so I, I think Finnegan makes some G, makes some sense in GPPs uh, I think compared to some of their starters out here especially he's got maybe the highest strikeout upside of the pitchers below 7,000. So and there's a lot of them today. It's a, it's an odd slate like that because you have a lot of these uh, unproven guys taking the ball for their team. You got a couple of prospects we're going to talk about too. Uh, well, one in particular in, in 
uh, and Jeff Hoffman, but he's home at Coors, yeah. and Luke Weaver's kind of in the mix too because he gets a Brewers team that can swing and miss a lot. So it's a good night for for thinking about some of the lower end starting pitchers on the board in part also because the top end guys are very limited. Yeah, I agree, and and that uh, that Cincinnati offense has actually hit a tiny bit lately. You know, putting up some runs, and uh, I mean Joey Votto is forty two hundred, but probably worth it against the righty in Alaska. He's been. I guess probably the best hitter in baseball since the all-star break, or at least up there. Uh, and then, you know, guys like Billy Hamilton, you get those lefties in. He's a switch, but better against the righties. There's uh, some, I think, some potential on the other side of that game as well. All right, uh, before we get to the last of the 705 starts, let me remind every fantasy football fans that the wait is nearly over. Football is back. So that means that FanDuel's back, and this year is better than ever. It's not just a new season at FanDuel. It's a new era. They've upgraded your entire experience with real improvements for everyday fans. And they believe you deserve to experience everything sports has to offer, which makes you sports rich. So try the new FanDuel now. You can just pick a team, stay under the salary cap, and have all the fun that fantasy has to offer. New to the game? Get in a beginner's contest to learn the ropes. If you have a dollar, there are games for just a dollar. There's 50-50 contests where the top half win cash, or you can sell a score with friends in FanDuel's brand new friends mode. It's a season-long fantasy football league with weekly teams, plus new features ensure a fair and level playing field. This this friends mode is, is going to be awesome. Trust me on this. I played with buddies last year. We, we would set up our own little just weekly thing, which you could do last year. And it was the best. It was all my buddies from high school. We don't talk all the time. It got us up. We had a text chain that came out of it. We're all talking all the time, talking smack to each other. And this friends mode is just going to enhance it because you can actually like see how you're doing over the year and, and really talk smack. So it, it's an awesome new feature. And you just you want to be at FanDuel because you can have all the fun that football has to offer and all the fun that fantasy football has to offer. You can be sports rich at FanDuel. Also, we have a special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with only a $10 deposit on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. And not only will you get that free subscription, but you'll actually have the $10 to play with on FanDuel. So you're essentially using $10 to play with and getting a free subscription out of it for over $40 in value for just $10. It's a no-brainer. Again, just go to FanDuel.com slash RW. Uh, and do it now because that is a terrific deal. All right, Derek, let's jump back in as we move on with these 705 games. The last of them in Philly, where I am, my hometown, is the Nats in town. Gio Gonzalez taking on Adam Morgan as we have a couple of lefties doing battle. Gonzalez, uh, another of those Jekyll and Hyde guys. Morgan, I can never remember which the bad one is. Is it Jekyll? Because Morgan's the bad one. Yeah, <laughs> I think... I, you know, I, th- I thought it was Hyde that was. I think bad. it might be Hyde. Either way, it's I, Morgan. I, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm really not sure myself, but yeah, Adam Morgan against the Nats. I mean, 5,300. Sure, you're you're getting a good punt play, but you're not getting an actual quality punt play in terms of the skills. I mean, we're talking about a guy that hasn't had uh, more than 24 Fanduel points in any of his last five appearances. ERA is over six during that span. Definitely someone to think about picking on. Uh, which which Nats righties? do you like the most in this particular matchup? Well, that's the problem because, you know, obviously you love Harper, you love Murphy, you love those lefties they roll out. Uh, I like Trey Turner, but he's been so expensive. Uh, A guy who I think consistently gets undervalued on FanDuel is Wilson Ramos. Uh, He's always in that 3 to to 32 to 34, which, you know, for a catcher is not cheap, but he has been 
maybe the best hitting catcher in the game this year, one of them other than, you know, until Gary Sanchez took the world over. But, um, you know, Ramos has been consistent. He's batting still about in the 320s, um, has hit left-handed pitching great, and, and yet at 3200 he's $8,000 cheaper than Gary Sanchez or and 300 cheaper than Posey and, and those other top catchers. So while it's not uh, a, a major value, I, I consistently feel like Wilson Ramos is that righty in the Nats lineup who consistently gets undervalued. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. And I think the other guy that I'm still waiting for a little bit more production from is Anthony Rendon. Like I, I was expecting mm-hmm. big things from him throughout this season relative to the other big bats in Washington, 3,600, slightly cheaper if you're looking for some help at third base. But the way this night slate breaks down, you've got a lot of the the big bats that are going to be at your disposal this evening. You probably won't have to go quite that far down the list at that position skills-wise. Yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be better options, which we will get into. But uh, on the whole, I certainly think, even if it's lefties against Morgan, I don't think a, a Nat stack uh, is the worst idea. All right, seven ten start. We've got three of those as we head out to Cleveland, Minnesota in town. Minnesota fighting the Braves unexpectedly for that worst record in baseball. No one thought they had a chance, and they said, oh, no, we can do it. Uh, it's pretty close. Pat Dean on the hill for them, taking on Corey Kluber and the Indians. I'm guessing uh, just leaning the Indians in this one. Yeah, the Indians are slight favorites at, like, <laughs> minus 300 because they've got oh Kluber God. going. Kluber at 10-8 is probably the, the cash pitcher of the night slate. I mean, he's the only like expensive pitcher in, the, in that price tier. Uh, Minnesota's been a huge disappointment all season, so not a big surprise that Kluber's the guy that optimizer spits out as the pitcher to use as well. Uh, as far as going up against Pat Dean, same kind of question as you had with the Nats. Are there any particular players in the Cleveland lineup that you want to use today? I mean, do you look at it as a case where Dean might just get roughed up early and this could be three, four, five innings even against some middle relievers for that Cleveland lineup. Yeah, and not not particularly good middle relievers when you're talking about that Twins pen as well. Uh, I honestly, like, especially with the lefty and Dean on the hill, I like a lot of those Indians. The Indians have hit left-handed pitching much better of late. Uh, you know, Lindor better from that side of the plate, at least historically. He's a little expensive as the top uh, uh, shortstop on the evening slate but you know Rajai Davis homered last night he's pretty cheap Napoli is uh not insanely expensive at uh at 3600 against the lefty I think that's a great play I honestly I'm I'm stacking Indians Jose Ramirez has been better against left-handed pitching that whole lineup has hit left-handed pitching well lately and you know you're going to avoid the guys like Nakin uh but then you get Brandon Geyer in the lineup who's going to be an, a very nice cheap option to throw at the end of his stack who's hit lefties really well uh, I feel very very bullish about this Cleveland lineup tonight yeah Geyer's the kind of player he's like Franklin Gutierrez we talked about on the day slate and he's actually priced at a point where you can really kind of afford him 2900 very cheap for a guy that pretty much earns his big league paychecks for what he can do against big league left-handed pitching. Yeah, and he does it well. And and, and that price has gone up. He was like 25, 24 consistently. And uh, I think FanDuel's starting to realize that anytime there's a lefty on the hill, you got to bump that price up a bit. All right, uh, 7-10 in Atlanta as we've got a, uh, a bit of an uglier matchup here. It's Paul Clemens and the Padres in town thinking on Matt Whistler and the Braves. Whistler's had some, some nice moments this year, but certainly not anyone to fear. Uh, the problem is, which bats are you excited about in this game? Ugh, for these two lineups, I mean, 
none, I, honestly. But like <laughs> the pitching is so underwhelming that you you want to try to do something to get some exposure on one side. I guess I mean if you had to pick a player, Freddie Freeman's always in consideration mm-hmm. for the Braves. Four thousand is your price, so a tick below Votto, three hundred less than Rizzo, three hundred less than Encarnacion. But you just talked about Mike Napoli at thirty six hundred. We mentioned Chris Davis at thirty four hundred is a nice value today. I mean with with Napoli especially, the Napoli play seems like the best of all worlds in terms of the platoon split and a weak starter. So I don't really see a compelling reason to even pay up for a guy like Freeman, even though he's been much better than I would have expected uh, recently, which has upped his season numbers to the point where I think I can fairly say I was wrong about just how much a bad Braves lineup would impact Freddie Freeman's run production. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, even though it was fun for a while to do the whole Freddie Freeman's got eight homers and 10 RBI jokes and all that, but um, I am with you. It's, he's had a much better season than I expected, and and I'm actually kind of, even though I, I know how bad um, Paul Clemens is, I, I kind of like uh, on the other side as well, uh, you know, Travis Jankowski at 3,000 with that stolen base upside, there's a little upside in that play for me. Ryan Schimpf at 3,000 against the righty. Uh, Whistler been bad against left-handed bats. So I think there are a couple of those medium-range plays in the Padres lineup uh, who I would consider, but but I'm with you. There are none that are, are getting me super excited or I'm building a lineup around, as it were. All right, the last of the seven ten starts, we head to New York as big, fat Bartolo Colon on the hill taking on David Phelps and those Marlins. This is kind of a, a strange matchup for me in the sense that Colon obviously has, has been much better this year than expected, but had some some down notes as well. And Phelps has looked uh, somewhat decent since uh, re-entering the uh, rotation there. Yeah, but he, he kind of lost everybody's trust by getting roughed up by San Diego in his last outing. Yeah, you're he right. He went three and two-thirds in that start. But there is a lot of K upside. And if you think about the Mets, I mean, they, they're not – they're not world beaters. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're one of those lineups that you can selectively pick on. So I think there is a case to be made for maybe making a GPP lineup with David Phelps. He's probably second or third in terms of those lower-end tournament plays and, and what I would ideally do. So it depends on the number of lineups that you're building. But uh, which, which Mets hitters, this this gives you an idea of how confident you should probably be. Know, right? Which which Mets was, hitters against Phelps do you feel good about right now? I was just, I, none. That's what I'm, I'm literally, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you always feel good about Suspedes, period, against anybody, but he's at 4,100, so you're, you're paying for it. And then other than that, I mean, I, Granderson is extremely cheap and, and had a pinch hit home run last night. I don't know. You know, that I'm with you. I, I think that's a good way to, to feel much better about the potential of rolling Phelps out is just to look at that Mets line and say, well, who am I going up against him with? Because it's a, it's a mass unit right now and, and not an impressive one. And also one that's better against left-handed pitching as well. Yeah, so I mean that's the other factor, I guess. And is Conforto going to play? I know they recalled him. Like I, I'm still I'm so puzzled by the treatment of Michael Conforto because Me too. It, it seems like his deficiency has been against lefties. They barely expose him to lefties, then they get mad that he can't hit lefties. And as a minor league player, he handled them just fine. Part of it's the personnel. They, they're they're a little heavier on the corners. They don't really have a center fielder. These problems are real problems, and I, I hope they address them going into 2017. But Conforto's splits against righties, at least at last glance, were still so good that it just didn't make sense to not be using him as a large side of a platoon player. 
Yeah, and give the kid a chance to learn how to hit lefties better. He did it in the minors, like you said. This is a kid you took with, what, the 10th pick in the draft. A kid who was batting third in the playoffs for you last year. Like, you know, I, it just, I, I, the Mets organizationally sometimes, I, I, I scratch my head and wonder what they're doing. Because I, I totally agree. If nothing else, let him play every single day against righties and maybe get some ABs against some left-handed relievers or something. But... Um, instead, they go out and shade for Jay Bruce. So, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, it's, yeah, I it's, it's redundant, but it was like <laughs> their effort of, of trying to fortify their offense. And that Lucas Duda injury definitely hurt, hurt. a lot. I mean, yeah. Duda's a, a streaky player, but ultimately more good than bad. And the thing about Conforto, even with the injuries he's been trying to play through this year, a 797 OPS against righties, a 290 OPS, not a typo, 290 wow. OPS against lefties. But what other teams in the big leagues have a guy that has nearly an 800 OPS against righties and they're like shuttling up up and yeah. down from AAA to the big leagues? I, w- I would guess not many. And I can say this, none that are contending. That's for yeah. sure. You know, no. so I'm with you. It's a, it's a strange situation. All right, let's move on. We got four games left on the slate, all 8 o'clock and beyond. 8 o'clock in Chi-Town is Ryan Vogelsong and the Pirates in town taking on Jason Hamill. Hamill, that whole Cubs staff, you know, the Hendrickses, the Hamels, have all really uh, stepped it up this year. Do you see a, a strong outing against the Pirates here, or, or are you kind of leading the other way? So I've had Jason Hamill on season-long teams uh, the previous two seasons now, and the late-season fade that he goes through is awful. Like, it is, it happens every yeah, year. Every this is the year. time of year where he just starts to get roughed up. I don't know what it is, if he just gets fatigued or what the problem is, but his last two starts, he has minus one points on FanDuel combined. Like, that's horrible. Like, I, I just I can't, I can't justify it. Pittsburgh <laughs> seems to be an offense. It's really bad, and I, I just I look at this, and, and Pittsburgh is one of those teams that I know when they're when they're not swinging it well, people start to pick on them. I I still fear them. They're one of those lineups that can go off at any given time. I'd be more apt to use a player like Andrew McCutcheon at thirty three hundred against Hamill than to try to use Hamill as my pitcher tonight. Yeah, I feel the same way, and that and McCutcheon actually. Fingers crossed for all those season-longers who are now out of the playoffs because he's submarine their team, but uh, starting to hit a little bit for the first time in a while, seemingly. And uh, I, I agree. I think this. Uh, I think this is. I, I can't. I can't roll Hamill out in this matchup right now with the way he's pitched and with the other options on the board at, at the night game. I, I lean that way. However, on the flip side, especially you know. Uh, Vogel song. I, I'm I'm getting some Cubs in that lineup. I think that you know, obviously Cubs are usually higher on the price end, but even uh, you know the the Zobris, the Fowlers, they're they're too expensive. But um, I'm getting any lefties I can, and Rizzo obviously expensive, but Vogel song stinks, especially yeah. against left-handed bats. So I, I, I mean, do the, think there's some value there. The Cubs can just tear up anybody, and I think of the Cubs hitters, the best price I'm seeing is really uh, it's Addison Russell at 2700 If you don't mind it being righty-righty, if you want to go with the lefty, a switch hitter, Ben Zobris, only 3300 You can save some money, get some Cubs, and not have to pay the you know the 4000 plus it's going to take to get a guy like Rizzo or a guy like Chris Bryant. All right, let's stick in the AL Central, or excuse me, the NL Central. 8-10 start in Milwaukee. St. Louis in town, one of those rookies you mentioned earlier, Luke Weaver on the hill for the cards, taking on a uh, the opposite of a rookie, Matt Garza. Uh, 
Cardinals uh, have, have been hitting okay lately. Uh, a couple guys who, who you can get for cheap who've been kind of hot who I like. How, how do you kind of view that Cardinals offense against Garza? And are you considering a, a Weaver play? Yeah, I do. I think Weaver is the the cheap pitcher that I would be even more inclined to go after. Uh, we talked about a couple options previously, but Weaver against the Brewers, the swing and miss sort of lineup, feast or famine. I know in, in Miller Park they can do some damage, but I don't trust them. I mean, I, I just <laughs> I, I'd rather err on the side of the young righty they haven't seen before, just coming in and really keeping them off balance, which I think Weaver can do pretty effectively. So at 6,800, I think he's the best way to go if you're going GPP and trying to save some money. It's kind of Weaver versus Finnegan is what it would come down to uh, for me because I think Finnegan has more strikeout upside, but Weaver is less likely to crater himself with walks. As far as the hitters go, man, I I, I feel like you can just, you can use anybody against Matt Garza. So it comes down to price. Randall Gritchick got bumped up. He's up to like 3,800 now, so I'm probably not going to go there. Uh, Jed Jerko has been on just a, a ridiculous hot. tear. Yeah. I, 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 I can't believe what he's been doing more recently, and uh, it's it's funny. I was relying on him in a couple of, of season-long leagues earlier in the year because I thought with shortstop eligibility especially, he'd be very yeah, useful. Yeah, sure. He's only 3,400. He's going to be heavily owned, but do you play him against Garza? Yeah, I think – I mean, he homered again last night. Uh, I, he's just been insanely hot. I actually just picked him up in the playoffs of my season-long league, and I couldn't believe he was still out there. Um, and I made a, a healthy fab bid for him, but all that versatility. As a season-long guy, he's certainly someone uh, for those season-long guys. If he's out there with uh, you know four-position eligibility, he's someone who could help you in a in a playoff run. But um, and at 3,400, I think the way he's been hitting in the matchup, I think you have to roll him out there. It's he's been batting second in the lineup recently as well. He's going to get some opportunities. Too bad about Gritchick as well because I was really liking riding him. Uh, until they bumped that price up. But obviously, he has been scalding hot since coming back up from the minors as well. A guy I always liked. He's a guy who I had in, in a couple season longs and and had to drop here when uh, sent to the minors and all that. But uh, seems to be back with a vengeance. All right, 8-10 start as we uh, we get back to Colorado for the second part of that twin bill. And, and another rookie you mentioned, Rich Hill, not the rookie, on the hill for the Dodgers, pitched uh, well, six, uh, I believe, one-run innings or shutout innings, in his first start as a Dodger, taking on uh, the rookie Jeff Hoffman, a.k.a. the the centerpiece of that Troy Tulowitzki trade. How do you feel about this one? I'm guessing you can't roll the rookie out in course. No, I don't think you can. I think with Hoffman, he doesn't have that experience that Anderson does. We talked about Tyler Anderson as part of the day slate. Uh, even though the price is really low, 5500 I don't want to use Jeff Hoffman in this spot. And Rich Hill, 8700 it, it's tempting, but... I can't do it. I just, I'm, I'm sorry. Not I, I the think, same way. Like I've been getting just punched in the groin by the Rich Hill blister injury, like repeatedly for the last month. I know he came back and pitched well in his first start back, but if I use him in DFS, like 30 minutes before first pitch, we're gonna find out that something's wrong with his <laughs> finger again, and he won't pitch at all, or he'll walk off the mound in the second inning with like a recurring blister rupture or something along those lines it's it's i, I can't do it so you so in, in actuality you're actually doing everyone else who uses rich hill a service by not using him yourself and thus jinxing him yes the uh 2.5 percent of the pool that decides that they're <laughs> going to go ahead and, and build the rich hill lineup is now safer might even be like 0.25 percent but no thank you very magnanimous of you dark uh and i agree i i think uh in this one uh, i'm not on either of the pitchers if he'll were even at 8,000, I don't think I would 
would roll him out just because uh, of those injury issues. And, of course, Coors and Hill, more of a fly ball pitcher. So uh, I-, I would worry there. All right, let's round it out. 8-15 start in Kansas City as we uh, no late games today. Ian Kennedy on the hill for the Royals taking on Luis Cesa. For the uh, Yankees, uh, I, l- I like to have fun with pronouncing names, so I may have messed that one up, but I'm going to roll with it there. No, that one sounds right. And, and Sace <laughs> is a guy that's actually pitched pretty well his last couple starts. He's gone six innings. Uh, give up three runs to Baltimore, five Ks, only one walk. I mean, that's a, that's a great quality start, yeah. but it's a good start against Baltimore, I think, especially when you account for the fact that it was pitched at Yankee Stadium. Uh, handled the Angels very capably the timeout before that. That being said, Kansas City is one of those lineups, even in their current form, I haven't really been picking on them a lot with lower-end pitching. I think higher-end guys are, are fine, whereas you used to avoid them because they don't strike out that yeah. much uh, against the Royals. But I, I'm looking at this as one where you kind of stand back and, and walk away. Now, Ian Kennedy on the other side is 8900 He's the second-most expensive pitcher on the wow. board. But look at his recent form. He's won his last three. He's got a 111 ERA in his last five, a 105 whip. He's averaging 42.2 FanDuel points per game during that span. He always brings K potential. Like, Ian Kennedy is the guy that can give up four runs in seven innings but still strike out 11 batters. That's just kind of part of what he brings to the table. So I I wouldn't do it in cash because I think any cash lineup I build would have Corey Kluber in it. But in GPPs, I'm much more likely to use Kennedy than Rich Hill, than Aaron Sanchez, than Gio Gonzalez, or than Jason Hamill. So he's of the of the top half pitchers, and they, that's a that's a low line tonight given yeah. prices. It's Kluber for cash, and Kennedy is like the only other expensive option I would think about in GPPs. I think that's a fun play in GPP too, especially because, like you said, I don't. I mean, I talk about baseball for a living. Uh, and and I didn't even realize quite how good he'd been recently. I knew he'd been good, but I didn't realize he'd been that good. Um, so I think there's some potential for some under-ownership there considering the matchup, uh, especially with that game in Kansas City as opposed to being in New York. I think that is a, uh, a nice little upside play there. And uh, on the other side, I know Seth looked good, but um, just on the, you know, the youngster and not a lot of, of pro uh, you know, sample size there, I don't think – it could hurt to maybe take a shot on a, a, a Kansas City stack. There's some some nice options. Lorenzo Cain's been hitting well lately at 3,200. Hosmer's and crazy expensive. There's some uh, some decent options there. Not something that I'm necessarily you know at the top of my list to do, but I think there is some at least potential there. Uh, Derek, that's gonna do it, man. This was fun. I, I appreciate you stepping in for Paul Bruno last minute and uh, and knocking one out of the park. Hey, thanks for having me again, James, and I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Awesome. That, that is Derek Van Riper, the director of media at RotoWire. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. I am James Seltzer. That's going to do it for the uh, August 31st DFS podcast for Major League Baseball for RotoWire. I will be back tomorrow with Paul Bruno. For now, good luck. Go out, win some money. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.